Point of View Audio presents Part 3 of The Way It Has to Be A novella written by Michael E. Hammond The memories were flowing back to me like water running from a tap. I let go of the wire fence as I gazed out across the open field toward the line of trees in the distance when I heard a voice calling to me. "'What you doing, young man?' a woman's voice called out. It was raspy and gravelly with age. I turned to look and saw a short figure, bundled up in a large coat and hat, trudging across the field. "'Just thinking,' I said. "'Forgive me for interrupting your thoughts,' she said, a hint of a southern accent trailing in her voice. She was wearing a gray hat and large round sunglasses that hid her eyes. Her mouth flapped from a lack of teeth or dentures, and they moved in a way that looked like she was constantly chewing on something. It would appear that we're now neighbors. Just wanted to come out here and say hello. I immediately realized that she was Mrs. Madison, an old widow lady and neighbor of the Everett's for as far back as I could remember. I'd never actually seen her before, but she was preceded by her reputation as kind and generally neighborly. She made her way over to me, and I could see that she was much shorter than I had originally expected. She was hunched over, and her movements were rather stiff, but she seemed to carry a cheerfulness that was welcoming in this cold and dismal weather. "'It's all changed so much, hasn't it?' she said, looking out across the field. "'Time changes everything.' I looked at her and nodded, not really sure how to respond. You look at me like I don't know who you are, young man, she said. You're Ben Saunders, aren't you? I am, I said, surprised. Oh, Mrs. Madison ain't lost at all, she laughed. I remember back when you was young. You and little Blair were always running around together, having a good old time. It's hard to forget things like that, you know. Yeah, I mused. I was almost speechless. There was a long pause as the two of us just stared out across the open field. I know why you're here, she said, breaking that silence. The Everett's left you their house. You aren't sure why, and you aren't sure if you even wanted after that tragedy, but you just had to come back and look at it all one more time. That's right, I said. How did you know? I'm old now too, Mr. Saunders, she said with a smirk. I know how important it is to get a little glimpse back into your past. Looks like my walk through the past might be over now, I said. Why's that? She said. I merely motioned toward the fence. Looks like we can't go much further than this. Oh, this old thing, she said, shaking her head. I can assure you nobody's going to care if we take a little walk back in that field. I'm the only one out here for miles and miles, and I ain't going to say nothing. I smiled and ducked my way through the wire fence. "'Care to walk with me, Mrs. Madison?' I asked, holding open the fence for her to cross. "'Don't mind if I do,' she said. "'These old bones could use a nice walk. "'Where are you planning to go? "'The field? "'The woods? "'Maybe a little further?' "'A little further,' I confirmed almost to myself. "'We crossed over the fence and began walking through the pasture.' The grass was a shade of frozen, frost-bitten yellow, cracking and crunching underfoot. The landscape hadn't changed all that much from what I'd remembered. 
small rolling hills and nondescript lands, covered by tall, flattened dead grass and the occasional patch of thistle stalks, standing much taller than the both of us combined. As we walked, I seemed to open my heart to the old woman, telling her about everything I could think of. I told her about how Blair and I had met, about the magic shop, and about how we planned to practice magic. Surprisingly, she didn't think it was all that odd, and found the idea of what I was saying to be quite amusing. Don't look so surprised, she said, her jaw continuing to chew. After all, I dabbled a bit in the witchcraft back in the day before my husband passed away. Oh, but that was back when I was a young woman. After walking for several minutes, we came to a frozen creek bed. It was much like I remembered it, gashed deep into the pasture in a zigzag motion, cutting the land into cliffs and grassy knolls. In the past, it had always been difficult to navigate the terrain without getting wet, but now that we were in the midst of winter, the riverbed was frozen solid, making for a nice path to cross. I carefully helped Mrs. Madison across the ice so that she didn't fall, and we continued on. As we passed along the first bend in the creek, I noticed in the nearing distance a tall, round hill that seemed out of place amidst the sea of smaller hills. It was the highest point in the entire pasture, and looking upon it, I could make out that the river had cut the back side of the hill into a steep cliff. I pointed to the hill, giving Mrs. Madison a smile. Look at that, I said, feeling a memory of warmth ease inside me. That little hill was always one of my favorite places in the world. Miss Madison simply smiled. We called it Lookout Point, I continued on. From that spot, you could see just about everything there is to see around here. In fact, I laughed, Blair and I would often race from the base of the cliff to the top of that hill. And let me tell you, it wasn't as easy as you'd think. One wrong move, and you'd simply tumble down into the creek. Oh, to be young again, Mrs. Madison mused. To be young again, indeed. It wasn't long after we'd made our first trip to Miss Wayworth's shop that Blair and I had started coming to Lookout Point for an extra bit of privacy. We'd come to that grassy hill just to mess around and do whatever. From the top of the hill, the Everett House, being nearly half a mile away, was nothing more than a tiny blocked shape in the distance. No matter what way you looked, there was no sign of society save but the Madison House just down the road. On that particular day, we had raced to the top of the hill, and Blair had won. Laughing and trying hard to catch his breath, he pulled out five candles from his pocket and gave me a look that said that he had a plan. He arranged them in a large circle at the top of the hill, lighting each one as he put it in its place. In that circle at the top of the hill, we laid, side by side in the soft grass, looking up at the deep blue sky. I remember the clouds were white and fluffy, shining with infinite hues of bright, brilliant white, resembling vast mountains of soft cotton. That day was the day that we dipped our foot into the world of magic for the first time. By putting our minds together, somehow we had managed to shape the clouds themselves. We'd focus on one cloud at a time. By channeling the power of our minds and the earth, we would will the clouds to change. With a lazy slowness, each cloud would drift with vaporous intent, stretching and bending to our will, taking on the shapes of whatever it was that we desired. One we made into a bird, another a rabbit, even a great three-headed dragon. 
To this day, I'll never know if what we did to those clouds could be seen by anyone else, or if it was simply limited to our view from the circle at the top of that little hill. Once we got bored of shaping those clouds, we simply sat in the silence, staring up at the peaceful sky as a soft breeze blew around us, those puffs of white velvet clouds drifting freely across the vast expanse of the endless blue. After a while, Blair sat up from the soft grass, gazing far out across the land. Something in his expression had turned noticeably serious. What's going on? I asked, propping myself up on one elbow. There was a long pause as he just gazed out into the distance, the wind tossing his dark hair in nearly every direction. I don't know what I would do without you, he said at last. What are you talking about? I asked. I don't know he said, hugging his knees close to his chest. I can't really explain it. Since I met you, everything is different. And just now, doing this magic with you? He trailed off. What? I pried, tugging on the back of his shirt. He turned to meet my gaze, his emerald green eyes solemn and intent. I've never felt so close to anyone before, he said, then quickly averted his eyes. I can honestly say that you are the best friend I've ever had, but it feels deeper than that. Somehow I knew what he was getting at, for I had felt the same thing. But it was just one of those things that seemed too scary, too frightening for two guys on the edge of 17 to actually come out and say. I sat up on my knees and took his hands in mine. I felt it too, I smiled, and to think that we never would have met had it not been for that stupid party. It's just like I said, he smiled warmly, his eyes growing bright. All the things are guided by the hand of fate. Everything happens for a reason. Do you believe it? I do, I smiled honestly. We sat for a few minutes enjoying the silence of the meadow around us, the simple company shared between two people content with the world. I watched as sunlight spilled from the clouds overhead, casting patches of light and shadow to crawl across the wind-tossed grass. I just love it here, I sighed. Me too, he agreed in a whisper. Perhaps one day we can live here together, and all of this will be ours. I would love that, I said with a laugh. He sat up on his knees and looked me intently in the eye. Let's make a pact, he said, pulling a small knife from his pocket. One day, my house will be our house, and all of this will be ours. I, Blair Everett, bind in blood that if we both cannot have this house and land, no one can have it, he said, as he slid the knife across his palm, and a fine line of blood trickled down from the steel. He handed me the knife. I, Benjamin Saunders, I repeated, bind in blood, that if we both cannot have this house and land, then no one can have it. I slid the cold steel across my palm, and there was a sting as I felt the blade cut through my skin. Warm blood trickled out of the cut and began to drip down my wrist. With that, Blair extended his hand in invitation, and I took it, feeling the sticky warmth of his blood in my own. It is the way it has to be, he said as he squeezed my hand in his. It is the way it has to be, I repeated, squeezing his hand back. With that, the promise was made, sealed by the mixing of our blood, binding it to the hand of fate. I couldn't tell if it was the cold wind in my face or the memory of the promise made. That 
promise which would never come to pass that brought the sting of tears to my eyes. I found myself back in the pale, frozen land of the present, a dull ache settling in my chest as I remembered that pact that we had made all those years ago. The words seemed to sting inside me, and I questioned if the house being left to me was the cruel hand of fate's sick and twisted sense of humor. Wow! Mrs. Madison brought me back to reality. This is quite a view. We were standing atop lookout point, the cold and icy breeze stinging my face and ears. I looked up to the gray sky and watched as the steady blanket of stony gray clouds hid back any hint that there might be something beautiful and blue lingering just beyond the gloom. I stood the precipice of the great cliff, gazing out across the rolling hills of colorless meadow. Nearly another half mile from where we stood, I could see the line of small, bush-like trees in the distance. The woods appeared almost black in the dismal, monochrome world. Never had I seen the trees without their vibrant green crowning of leaves. What's got your attention now? Mrs. Madison asked. I nodded in the direction of the trees. The old woods, I said, and swallowed deeply. It's funny, but I can almost feel the place looking at me. I continued to gaze in the direction, feeling my heart pounding in my chest. It's the first time I've been this close since... Yeah, she cut in. I know. I turned to look at the old woman, her round sunglasses concealing any trace of emotion that might be felt in her eyes. What am I doing here anyway? I asked. Why did I come back? Because you had to, she said in a comforting voice. You had to, and you know it. Something about her words struck a chord in me, and they felt like the words of wisdom, the words of truth. As I gazed out across the open expanse, all time seemed to stop. Somehow I knew that she was right. This little stroll down memory lane was something I had to do. I looked at her again and saw the faintest hint of her eyes looking at me from behind the dark lenses. It was as if she could see right through me. After all these years, this woman, this stranger, seemed to be my only link to the past. She was the only person in all the world that I could tell my story to, the one person who even stood a chance to understand it. My eyes turned from her aged face toward the line of trees once again. My gaze was fixed upon the woods, searching, prying, gazing around each and every shadow of a tree that my mind sought out that place, the place that haunted my dreams, that haunted my mind, that place that had forever changed me. So, Mrs. Madison's voice startled me from my thoughts. Are we just going to stand here looking, or are we going to move on? I turned to look at her again her jaws chewing and flapping like they always did. I'm guessing by the way you look at them woods, your story's about to get more interesting? You could say that, I confirmed. At that, the wind shifted and seemed to press against my back, pushing me forward toward the forest looming on the not nearly distant enough horizon. We cautiously made our way down the slope of the hill, and to my faint surprise, Mrs. Madison seemed to have very little trouble walking such a great distance. As I watched, I noted that she had nearly as much energy as myself, albeit she was slower and stiffer in her motions, but she kept up surprisingly well. We continued northward from lookout point, toward the line of trees ahead of us. 
We moved with a light but steady pace. Mrs. Madison was telling me stories about her husband, about this and that, about how they used to take walks together. That's all I can really tell you because, to be honest, I wasn't really listening. Now and again I would smile and nod and hum in agreement, but my attention was elsewhere. Blair and I continued to delve into our practice of magic, dipping our toes into this and that. Over the course of the next month, we would shape the clouds. We would call the wind. We would even try to use water divination, but with little luck of success. Though, it was not long after we discovered the chapter on fire magics that we really found our niche. We had no way of knowing then that a night that started out with simple candle tricks would soon escalate into something that neither of us would ever forget. It was nearing the middle of May, and Blair's parents were out of town for the weekend. As per usual on such occasions, I would stay at his place, and we would practice our craft openly without having to venture out into the meadow for sanctuary. As I remember it, we were watching the Shadow Coven's curse again. This time we had pointed out all the plot holes we failed to see the first time around, and poked fun at the writer's clear lack of understanding on how magic and witchcraft in general actually worked. Before the movie was even over, Blair had pulled out a witch's Bible, one of the books that we bought at the magic shop. He thumbed through the pages, skimming over the book as we half-watched the third act of the film. He ended up stopping at a particular section, and I could see from the look in his eye that whatever it was had caught his attention. I can tell by that look that you've found something you want to try. I said, switching off the television. You know me so well. He smiled, not even looking up from the book. Fire magic. That doesn't sound potentially destructive, I joked. Adding an element of fire is a sure way to boost the power of any spell. He read aloud. The element of fire is a powerful one. It is fast-paced, it brings light to the darkness, it adds warmth to the cold and can purify. It can cleanse and... Most of all, it can destroy. I cocked a brow at that. Don't worry, he assured me. We aren't going to try anything destructive tonight. He turned out the living room lights and motioned for me to sit on the floor. I moved from the couch to where he had already lit one of his mom's plain white candles. We sat, Indian style, face to face, the candle on the floor between us. Concentrate on the flame, Benjamin, he said to me. If you concentrate and channel your power, you can control it. I did as he said. I looked into the glowing flame, beautiful and mesmerizing, and let my mind fall away. Much like we had done with the clouds overhead, I simply fought, and the flame danced slightly as if caught by a faint and sudden breeze. I willed the flame, and it grew brighter. Then I willed the flame to die out, and it did just that. Amazing, he said, as the room grew dark around us. It seems you have a skill with the flame. There was a pause as if he were debating something. Now that it's out, he said at last, I want to try something else. I don't think lighting it with our minds is something we're going to have much luck with, I said. No, no, he said, handing me a book of matches in the dark. It's something else. I took the matches from him, wondering just what it was that he had in mind. Through the power of the flame, we shall bind ourselves as a coven of two, he said. It is a spell of enlightenment and clarity that was in that book that the lady from the magic shop was so determined we get. What do we need to do? I asked. 
he explained the spell to me in detail. And I must admit, it sounded pretty easy. Once confident with the instructions, we let the spell play out before us. We each lit a match at the same time. I passed mine to Blair, and he passed his match to me. For only a matter of seconds, we watched the flames as they began to consume the wood of the match. With the faintest scent of smoke, we each used our burning match to light the candle between us. Fire, fire, power of thee, we chanted in unison. Grant the power of fire to me. Show us the light, protect us from night, give us enlightenment so that we might see. Starting with his left hand, Blair let his fingers pass through the flame of the candle before moving on to the fingers of his right hand. I followed suit, only vaguely surprised when the flames didn't burn. They felt only mildly warm on my fingertips. We then joined hands, completing our circle. Anointed by the flame, our powers see through. We chanted together. And so we are bound as a coven of two. I don't know what I expected to happen. Maybe I expected nothing at all, as it was little more than a ceremonial spell meant to solidify our bond. And for a moment, nothing did happen. We just sat there, our hands joined, the candle burning in that space between us. The shadows that we cast danced gently on the walls in the darkness of his parents' living room. There was a peaceful stillness to it all, a feeling of being content. He was looking into my eyes and I into his when the shadows of the room seemed to shift. It was something almost undetectable, save but for the way it felt. Everything was the same, but everything was suddenly different. I noticed things I had never noticed before. The stiffness of his brow, that intense green of his eyes, the sharp edge of his jaw, I had seen these things a million times before, but for the first time I was really beginning to notice them. There was a stirring within me I couldn't quite explain as I simply looked at this man in front of me. His eyes grew darker, somehow softened by the flickering candlelight. He was looking at me with a strange and almost desperate look, a look I had only caught in the slightest glimpse that day back on Lookout Point. We had always been close ever since the day we first met. Every time we combined our powers to cast some spell, I felt even closer to him than I did before. It was in those moments, followed in the wake of our combined power, that our closeness always seemed intensified. It was in those moments that no matter how close we were, it just didn't feel like enough. And that is exactly how it felt that night. There was a burning inside me, a burning like fire as I felt more than ever that close bond that we had always shared. As I looked at him, I noticed his lips began to part as if he were about to say something, but the words never did come. My grip on his hand only tightened, and I pulled him across the candlelight, closing that space between us, pressing his lips into my own. I pulled myself away in shock at what I had just done. There was a look of confusion twisted on his sharp features of his face. I was prepared to apologize to him for my rash and unexpected actions, but he didn't even give me the chance. Instead, he pulled me closer, kissing me hard with his soft lips. I cannot quite say what happened next. I remember the need for closeness, as if no matter how hard we tried, we just couldn't get close enough. 
Our clothes came peeling off as we made our way from the living room, up the stairs, and to his bedroom. He picked me up and dropped me on his bed, knocking over the end table in the process. I remember looking at his body for the first time as he fumbled to pick up the end table. I remember suddenly realizing that he was the most beautiful creature I'd ever seen. Ignore it, I said, pulling him back on top of me. What little clothes were left by that point were promptly ripped off until there was purely skin against skin. I ran my fingers across his back as I kissed his neck. I surrendered myself to his desire, doing things I never thought I'd do. But then again, that's how I always summed up my entire relationship with Blair, doing things I never thought I'd do. Everything after that was a blur of passion and bliss. The pinnacle of our entire friendship apexed in one moment of raw and unbridled power, unleashed for the first time. By the time that it was over, we were lying together, our bodies drenched in sweat, our hearts pounding as we struggled to catch our breath. Truth be told, I never so much as felt a hint of attraction to someone of the same sex in my entire life, so you can imagine that all of this came as quite a shock to me. I half expected to feel dirty, to feel some kind of shame at what we had done, as if we had simply given in to some unexplainable lust. Perhaps explain it away as the result of the fire spell that we had attempted. But that was not the case. It was as if this entire time we were dancing around something we both knew we felt, and this spell had burned away the need to hide our feelings from each other. It was as if, for the first time since we met, the truth of our connection had finally been realized. It went beyond friendship. It went beyond gender. We were connected. Mind body, and soul. I still remember how we laid in the darkness of Blair's room as moonlight spilled in through the windows. My fingers were tracing the outlines of his pale body as we simply looked at each other and smiled. His careless hair was a mess threatening to cover his left eye. And what I wouldn't give now to see that sight, just one last time. This has been part three of the audio recording of The Way It Has to Be. If you have enjoyed what you've heard so far, please consider liking, subscribing, and even commenting, as the story will soon continue in part four.